All right. Hello, everyone. I just finished recording an episode of The Brendan Burns Show with a good friend and former client, Lon Shroshian. And you'll hear all about our conversation, and, and I don't want to give away too much in this sort of pre-intro, but we had an incredible conversation where I walked away feeling very inspired, very excited, and very much pushed back into alignment with what I'm looking to do in my life and in my career. Lon is the founder of Normal 40, uh, which is a business that actually helped him launch when we were working together when he was my client. Uh, before that, Lon had an extremely um, successful career working as the head of M&A and a big executive in a large company. Uh, he's such a cool guy. He lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which I've actually been to a couple times randomly. But he's um, he's a great guy. He's a family guy. He's married. He's got kids. He um, He's a, into aviation. He owns a small plane. And Normal 40 now, his business um, helps men um, who have crossed the 40-year uh, age mark play out the back half of their life with passion, um, with a career, with a business, with really creating a life that is super fulfilling, rewarding, motivating, and, and exactly what um, they want to do with their lives. So we had this great conversation. We talk about, um, I got into a lot of my personal stories, my background, the loss of um, one of my best friends um, from uh, an overdose that I don't think I've ever talked about on the podcast before. So we get into some pretty intense things, but I walked away thinking about how can I create even more fulfillment, alignment, joy in my life and in my business. And I'm confident you guys will have a great ride. So enjoy the episode uh, with Lon and myself. What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. There he is. Ladies and gentlemen, Brendan Burns in the studio. Hey, everybody. So nice to see you. Hold on a second. There's, there's got to be, there's got to be some, hey, can you hear that? <laughs> nice do you have the uh roadcaster pro i do well, let's go man i got it right here too <laughs> you know it's it's one of the better pieces of equipment for the price that that i've ever purchased oh my gosh yeah i mean 400 bucks or something i love yeah. this thing i do too i do too i don't have as nice a microphone as you i've got the old roadcaster but i tell you what i've got one of those in my other office i almost like this one better the um the mic you have here yeah it's a it's a it came with the roadcaster Oh, cool. Yeah, this one, I don't know. I kind of like it because I can get it really close in here and then I can hear myself, which is cool. But uh, got to go with what you like, man. That's exactly, exactly right, man. How are you? How's the world? How are things? And by the way, I'm just going to warn you, we're, we're going to podcast this and there's a good chance that whatever you say right now is going to be part of the podcast. So <laughs> just know that that's how this is going to go. No, I appreciate it, man. I was actually going to ask because um, I need to get an episode out um, like on Monday. So can you get this recording to me also like over the weekend? Dude, totally. I'll get it to you later today. Done. Okay. Cause otherwise I think there's a way you can let me record it, but if you can do that, that's even better. I'll get you, I'll get you, um, the raw audio, the video side-by-side -side video, one-on-one -on -one video, everything you'll have it. Amazing. It's like so done. It's oh, like I work for you. What happened here? Let's go, dude. Listen to this, guys. Lon is a, a great podcast editor. Just email Brendan at brendanhburns.com and anything you need, I'll make sure he takes care of. Yeah, right. <laughs> and what you don't know is for my podcast, I outsource it to my buddy named Adam Eaton and he takes care of everything. So I'm just going to, it's just going to be a link chain. I love it, man. That's awesome. Well, to answer your question, um, I'm doing really good. Uh, you know, business has been good, really focused on content now um, and bringing people in organically, just kind of from that place of inspiration as opposed to kind of sales and 
kind of transactional nature only, which ads have kind of been a little bit more for us. Uh, the weather's still holding up here in San Diego. We're coming into November, but I'm going surfing today. So that's all good. And uh, playing pickleball tomorrow. So just living my best life. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. When we met, I told you that you live in the other SD because I'm a product of South Dakota. And uh, you, not I don't know if you're a product of San Diego, but it's where you've been calling home for the last number of years. And and uh, so it's the other SD where I don't get to go surfing today, but I do get to go upland game hunting. There you go. I, I've been to uh, South Dakota and it's amazing there. Did you ever think about leaving though? Obviously having, you know, before this business, which I know is going to be hugely successful as well. You had a lot of success in your last career, which I'm sure maybe on some level you were kind of tethered to the company and the location, but did you ever think, Hey, I'm a successful guy. I could kind of make it anywhere, ever think about living somewhere else? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Uh, the answer is yes. I think we all kind of think about it. It's how seriously do we think about it really? And so uh, my, my wife is from here as well, but she's an adventurer. So she's never been, she's never been in the corner of, hey, we can't go. Even, even though we've got kids and kids going through school and, and the older kids get through you know K-12, the harder it is to move, no doubt. And uh, so, yeah, we thought about it, but I wouldn't say we got super close at any given point. We get the closest we came was probably about four years ago. Uh, yeah, four, four or five years ago um, within the company, there was an opportunity to move and uh, and we talked about it and ultimately decided not to. But uh, so, yeah, I've, I've spent my whole life with it, my my address being somewhere in South Dakota. I've lived all around the state, but somewhere in South Dakota. Wow. Where was the other job? Well, so um, there was an opportunity for me to take over a division of the company that was located in Europe. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah. So I'm hesitant to even say this because my mother-in-law, would. She this will be the first she heard of it, even though it's four years ago, she'll totally, she'll totally freak out about the fact that we almost went to Europe, but it didn't happen clearly. And, um, uh, you know, the, the world worked out the way it was supposed to. 100%. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I feel like there's so many pros and cons. I mean, on the one hand, you obviously are from there, you have the family, you know, it really well. Um, I think for me, the move was COVID was happening. I wasn't really talking to anybody anyway. And I kind of convinced myself, oh, this will just be short term during COVID. And then <laughs> it's funny, because my mom was in town last weekend. And uh, she's like, you know, I hate that you moved, but I love that you moved to where you did. Because now I have an excuse to come to Southern California three times a year. And you move what, from New York? Yeah, so I grew up on Long Island, about an hour outside the city. And then I lived in Manhattan and then Brooklyn at the end for about 10 years total. All right, this is so awesome. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go back to the very first time. I'm going to tell it from my standpoint. The very first time that I came in contact with you. And, and then we'll, we'll kind of just ramble a little bit. So I'm going to, I'm just going to go off. So just allow me the microphone for a little bit as I, as I kind of take us down memory lane, yeah. but I was going through, so the people who, from, from my side of the podcast, the people who know me, they're going to understand my story a little bit for your side of the podcast. Let me put a little bit more meat on the bones. So I'm a South Dakota raised, born and raised farm kid through and through. I'm going home to the farm later today. I will be on the farm tomorrow. I will be driving heavy equipment in harvest. It's what I do. It's not what I do for a living. It's what built me though. And I love it. And so I graduated from college, was going to go home to a farm. Long story short, a U.S. Senator called. I went to work for a Senator for five years. Then one, uh, he was going into cycle. I'd met my wife. We were getting married and having our first child. And so I decided I didn't want to go into politics. I went into banking for five years. And then while I was in banking, the CEO of a public company said, Hey, come to work for us. I'll make you an executive and we're going to do great things, which I did for 15 years. So along my journey, um, and I really turned about a 10 minute story into a two minute story there, but here's, the, here's, here's where people find me. And it's where I was when I find, when I found you, Brendan, I was at this place where I was at the top of my career. And I think you're going to relate to this. And this is where I want to go. When I, when I turn the mic over to you, I was at the top of my career. I was a named executive at a public company leading mergers and acquisitions. I had my own team. I had my own schedule. I was doing kind of whatever I want. I was delivering on strategic acquisitions for three operating divisions that were in our company. 
I reported to the CEO. I was, I was, you know, helping build strategy. It was, it was super fun. And I liked everyone. There was nobody there who I didn't like. I was making more money than I thought I would ever make. Honestly, when I was, when I was growing up a farm kid, are you kidding me? I was traveling. I was doing cool travel. I was meeting great people. I mean, it was, it was the top of my game. And I would come into my office probably about every 30 to 60 days. And I would sit down in my nice big office, with my, my nice big title. And I drove my nice car from a nice house. And I'd sit there because I was always the first one in the office. And I'd look around and go, what, is this it? I mean, is it, is, is this as good as it's going to be is for the rest of my life for the next 10 or 15 years of my professional career? Am I going to be the M&A guy for a public company? And this is it, this is the top of my game. And of course, then I would kind of kick myself in the butt and go, well, dude, if this is it, sh shouldn't you just be happy? Shouldn't you just be thankful? Because ever there's only about two people in this entire company who wouldn't change jobs with me. So can I just be happy? So that would buy me about another 30, 60, 90 days of, you know, guilt and shame for feeling like I should have more. Right. And then I'd sit down in my office and go, God, is this it? So that's when I found you. I'd, I'd become a coach and I'm like, how am I going to turn this into a business? Who's a cat out there who's taken, who's got a similar trajectory, which I want you to tell your story. And I'm like, oh, there's this guy understands business. He's a coach. He's making ends meet, helping people figure their life out. This is exciting. I called you. I, you, you made me work through your funnel, but I got <laughs> to you. I got to you. Your funnel worked. Ended up hiring you as my first ever coach. And it yeah. changed the trajectory of my life. And that's the story from my side of the table, boss man. That's amazing. So I'll do what I can to piece it together. But what I remember is that we connected on LinkedIn. And I'm going to tell something, a story that happened a little bit later on first, just to contextualize how awesome you are on LinkedIn. I remember one morning I woke up and we were already working together. And I had all these connection requests from all these people in South Dakota. So of course, I think this is some kind of spam situation. Like some guy in India made a hundred profiles. He's trying to hack into me. And I'm like, what is going on? Here's all these, and they're very nice people. They're writing these messages, Brent, I love your podcast. And they all have these different jobs. And then I'm like, let me just look at Lon's profile for a sec. Cause he's kind of the only guy I really know in South Dakota. And you did some posts kind of featuring our work together and sharing our stories and all this stuff. Yeah. And you had like a hundred likes and comments. And what I think is really cool about you is you have found a way to create Facebook and Instagram like engagement on LinkedIn. Because LinkedIn, usually it's like share an article, share a post, but the amount of engagement you get, it's not like a competition or, oh, this. it's really a testament to how authentic you are, how much value you add and how magnetic you are on LinkedIn. So that's super cool. But what happened was I think we connected on LinkedIn, you know, we reach out to coaches, prospecting, obviously, and we had a call booked. I think you with Shannon, our appointment setter. Yeah, with Shannon. And then, yeah. yeah, and then we had, uh, and then I got a message from you. You're like, hey, man, uh, I'm actually taking the plane up today. So uh, can we reschedule for tomorrow? And I was like, all right, I like this guy already. He's got a plane, he flies, I'm into aviation. And then I think you guys got rebooked. And I remember Shannon called me right after you guys spoke and said, hey, Brendan, I got a guy for you. He's just like you, you know, similar story, right? With my background of working in finance in New York thinking initially, okay, this was my end game and then hitting it at a young age and realizing it wasn't. And uh, yeah, I think we just hopped on a call and had so much synergy and connection. I was just talking to, um, about you actually just before this to our other appointment setter on my team, telling him about this podcast we were about to do. And he's like, yeah, who's this Lon guy? And I was like, dude, Lon is so cool. He came into the program. And what I love about you is you're so aligned with kind of like the normal 40 brand. You want to help people do what you've done. And you came at it with such a confidence and authenticity that you were signing up these one year 20K clients and just kind of made it seem very easy. But when you follow kind of the process that you have, you were just an all-star client for us. So I remember connecting on LinkedIn, you canceling our call because you had to go flying, which I thought was the coolest thing. And then when we hopped right on a call, I could tell you were going to be someone that we could really partner with and take far along relatively quickly. Oh man, that's so cool. I actually am going to be in that same aircraft in about three hours to go to the same place I was probably going that day. And I, I cannot, I cannot wait. Yeah, man. It was, um, so let's talk about this LinkedIn thing. I think this is so fascinating. Um, and you're right. I, you're the first person and you did it three minutes ago who said, and I think it's accurate. You, you, 
described my engagement on LinkedIn of being somehow able to do an, an Instagram, like, um, create an Instagram, like following on Facebook, uh, on LinkedIn, excuse me. Yeah. And look, I, uh, when I talked to you the first time, I didn't have an Instagram account and I have one now and I'm barely on it. I'm probably on it, you know, almost never. And so many people, so many coaches, that's where they build their business. But for me, you know, the, the people, my guy, and I know every single thing there is to know about my guy. I dedicated the first year of normal 40 to figuring out who is my guy. I know everything about them. I know what they have. I know exactly what they have. I'll tell you, they've got W2 income. It's safe. They're the family provider. They've got a house or houses. They've got an image that they manufactured. They've got a car or cars. They've got a lifestyle. They've got memberships and they've got exactly what they set out to get only 10 years earlier. But now they're, they're doing what I did. They're going, well, shit, is this it? And I know exactly what they feel. They're, they feel like they're on autopilot. They feel frustrated, controlled, unhappy, lost, guilty, bored, annoyed, caged, alone. They feel discontent. They feel like their clock is ticking for the first time in their life. Like, holy shit, I'm getting older. And then they feel angry, lost, stale, and stuck. They feel likely uh, lifeless. And now at this stage in their life, like, I can't quit. I've got too much to lose. I got a family that's counting on me. I've got this job I wanted to have. And so they, they arrived to LinkedIn and I arrived using their words. I know these words, Brendan, because over the last year in about three months, I've had 531 conversations with dudes. And these are the words they've told me when I ask them, how do you feel right now? And that's what they say. I feel frustrated. I feel like I'm on autopilot. I feel like I have no control and I'm unhappy. So how do I, how do I create engagement on LinkedIn? You do the work of asking people who are on LinkedIn looking for you, what words they used to find you. And you can use that again and again to create, it's not sales, it's how you create this connection and you create content that, yeah, it's, it doesn't look like LinkedIn. It doesn't look like a press release. It looks like me showing up for a dude who's looking for something yeah. and I'm able to connect. And it's been just an absolute joy, absolute joy to do it. And, uh, and, and uh, I, I wake up every morning and write something. I never know what it's going to be the morning I wake up to write it. And sometimes it's a flop, a big dud. And sometimes it, it's kind of a home run. Well, I think one of the things that you do really well that I'm always trying to encourage our clients to do now is just write something. Doesn't matter what it is. Just put it out there. And even on this invite right now um, for this podcast recording in the invite, you put ramble something like podcast, Brendan ramble. And I think that there's this perfectionism in the world, um, whether it's with coaches or just in general where, okay, I'm going to write this thing. No, I'm going to rewrite it. I think one of the things, whether or not it's a good thing, I think it's more of a good than a bad is I have a lot of friends who have podcasts and I edit mine the least out of anybody. I like, I have friends, they sit there, they record it. They're like, you know what? I don't like how that came out. I'm going to give it another go. And sometimes it's a good thing. They make an even better episode, but I'm the guy that's like, this is what I did you know, take it or leave it. If it's bad, I don't care. Tell me it's bad. I'd probably agree. I was like, yeah, that's not my best work, but I'm going to put it out there. And maybe, maybe that helps humanize me, which gives you some inspiration that you can do it too. And it doesn't have to be perfect either. It's, it's oh man, that is so spot on every, you know, I would, how many, so take me for example. Um, so I came into your network and I hired you, gosh, all my years kind of run together after this last one. Uh, I think it was January of 21, 2021. Does that sound about right? No, I think it was fall of 21. I remember needing to pivot my business to be more scalable. Okay. And so we moved to more of that group program. And I flew during COVID to um, Panama City. And everyone says, oh, Florida? I said, no, Panama City, Panama. Yeah. <laughs> flew there. And then I went to Guatemala. And I did what I call a little funnel retreat. And I kind of sat, watched a bunch of online trainings and I mapped out what the program would look like. That was probably April, May. Shannon came on a few months later and then we connected in October of 2021. And so it was end of 21. This makes my point perfectly. Okay. So it's the end of 21 and I came into your program and you didn't have it figured out. No. <laughs> right. But my, the point is you did it anyway. And the point is I benefited from it. This is making your point exactly every, and this way I call them rambles, by the way, when you go book a call with me, it's not a discovery call. It's not a get to know you thing. It's a ramble. 
I, I don't want anyone to think that it needs to go in any direction except for wherever we want to take it, including this podcast. I had no idea. I purposely didn't even write down questions before I got out. I'm like, Brendan and I got this. But here's yeah. a great point for anybody who's who's where Brendan and I were at some point in our previous lives where things have have gone entirely good. And you've probably outkicked your own coverage on multiple occasions. And you're sitting there feeling a little bit guilty that you want something else other than what you spent the last year chasing to get. And you think you can't do something else because you're not ready. And listen, bullshit. Just show up and 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 start. You know, the 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 message I can I'm kind of getting billed as the guy on LinkedIn who encourages people to quit, which yeah, sometimes you should. Sometimes you should look your reality in the face and leave it. But that's not what I want. I can, I want to encourage people to start. I want them to look at, give an honest accounting of the life they have. And if they don't like it, start something else. And you don't have to quit something else before you start something else. Just yeah. start. When I first wanted to do a podcast, it all came out of the Tim Ferriss show. I used to listen to him. I remember being in Iceland by myself. Um, I could, obviously don't speak Icelandic. And so I'm in the middle of this uh big field and I have my roller suitcase over my head because there's so much snow and I don't have, oh no, I did have boots and I put the boots on and I have no idea what's going on, but I'm listening to Tim Ferriss and I'm like, I'm here because of you and you're the man and I love this show. And I was like, I want to have my own podcast. This is 2015, 2016. I go out uh, with a friend, we have a drink and um, she works for uh, like Broadway theater. She was helping with the playbills or doing interviews like that. She said, wouldn't it be so cool if I had a podcast where I interviewed the Broadway actors and actresses, and then we did the episodes like that. Like, yeah, it's amazing. And I said, wouldn't it be so cool if I did a podcast where I talked about how I'm going to leave Wall Street and all the travel I'm doing and the business I want to create and document my journey. And we kind of were like, all right, this weekend, we're going to record our own first episode, introducing ourselves in the show and on Monday, publish it. And we're going to have live podcasts. We shook hands, we left. And on Monday, I had a really bad really first episode live and the other person didn't and it's nothing against the other person but i just said you know what my favorite one of my favorite quotes is from uh reed hoffman who's the co-founder of linkedin being of linkedin multi-billionaire yeah. and he says if you are not embarrassed by the first version of the product that you launch you've launched too late so true easier said than done mm -hmm. way easier said than done but man when and here's what I here's what I tie it all back to why it's so hard, um, is that I I go out of my way to talk to people and I kind of get I engage in this debate on ego and image, and a lot of people kind of lump them into get into the same bucket and I don't I I think your ego is a damn good thing, I think your image is your freaking monster. Because your ego is pretty true. Your ego is who you are. Your ego is down deep. And it's like, it's what it, it knows what it wants you to start doing, stop doing, keep doing, kill, accelerate, whatever. You're, that is who you are. Your image, though, is different. Your image is what you manufactured. Your image is what I want Brendan Burns to think about me. My image is what I want the people in my neighborhood to think about me. My image is what I drive because it, it because I think it influences how people think about me. Your image is manufactured. And I think that the thing that's so hard is when you've manufactured this image, or at least what you want other people to think about you, for you to go launch your podcast that you just talked about. That is so not Brendan Burns. That's so not becoming a Cornell graduate with an MBA. That's so not these things that you are, that yeah. it was really hard to say, my image is okay with this. Your ego was fine with it all along. Your ego was saying, dude, do it, do it, do it. Your image was saying, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. And so it's the image that you've created that stops so much of who it is your ego really wants you to be. And I think it's so crazy that we allow that to happen. And once you realize it and you name it, your courage goes through the roof and you actually just start doing stuff stuff that you should have been doing for years. Well, that's all brilliantly said. And to tack onto it, my image, the image that I wanted to have was all birthed out of low self-esteem, shame, and the desire to get attention and love from people. Ultimately, when I worked on wall street, I saw that some of the people, um, you know, so many people on wall street are very smart, are very talented, are very hardworking. However, if you really tapped into their egos, 
is that really their highest calling, their real might, their purpose? I remember knowing a guy running his own hedge fund, and he was very passionate about engineering and space and exploration and innovation. And he would make these comments that kind of made it seem like I'm doing this, even though I shouldn't be. And it's very hard, obviously, to create alignment between your ego and your image and what you actually pursue. But that's where the beauty lies in the fulfillment of all the people that probably seek your help are looking for that. Hey, help me surrender my image, surrender the feelings and the pain and the control that comes up when I'm trying to create alignment between what my actual ego is and says I am, and then what I'm actually pursuing in an attempt to create an identity that fits a certain story to probably just help me cope with things I'm not addressing in other ways. Absolutely. And I'm sure you run into that all the time in coaching. And, and at some point, and I don't care if you're, I know you do multiple different coaching, so do I. And if you're, I've never had an executive coach client that somewhere along the line, usually earlier than later, turns into a life coaching session. Because of something that they have not resolved. And they view it as this chronic weakness. And really what it is, is there's a strength under there begging to come out. It's begging to get it the light of day. And, and it's up to a good coach to figure out how to do it tactfully that, that, um, that gets, them, gets them excited about who they're wired to be really instead of who they've become based on a decision they made 10 years ago. And look, it's, right. it's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just... It only gets wrong and bad if you don't eventually get to this point where you own it, where you face it, where you stare it, where you stand lockstep face to face, eyeball to eyeball with whatever it is, and you take it on and you you wrestle out, you wrestle with it. You might decide to stay. You might have decided to stay with Lazard. I might have decided to stay with my company, but we decided to do something else. But we had to we had to go eyeball to eyeball first and then decide what it is we wanted to do. And that is hard. And for me, it took a coach for you. It probably took a coach or a mentor to get you to do it. And it's a, it's, it's just kind of, kind of how it works. Oh yeah. I mean, I started working with coaches and therapists in 2013 and it was all based on kind of my own desire for personal development and growth out of pain and challenges and broken relationships and things like that struggles at work. And it was so powerful that I started to get really passionate about these things. I ultimately felt like, you know what, maybe my calling is more in alignment with helping people with these things than some of my other desires with Wall Street and money and these things. And it was that foundation over those four or five years that gave me the courage and the strength and the personal awareness to surrender my desired image that wasn't in alignment with my ego to then move into those things. But I couldn't have, if I couldn't have just woken up one day and be like, okay, boom, I'm going to do it. And that's where people like you and me and people I worked with helped me because now a lot of my life, when you look back to my sort of setup in New York, it was the playbook that was kind of told that I'm supposed to do. And then I really bought into was, okay, live in Manhattan, live in these things, like a small box, like, you know, some of these apartments in New York city, five, $10 million. And the buildings built a hundred years ago. And I was like, I remember when I moved to even just to Brooklyn, I was in uh, downtown Brooklyn on the 52nd floor of a 57 story uh, building. And I was like paying, you know, three, four grand a month to rent. I was like, my apartment's nicer than Jerry Seinfeld's because Jerry Seinfeld lives in Manhattan on Central Park West in some fancy thing. But I've been in those buildings and they're old and decrepit and being down, but they have the best zip code and the best title and all these things, which again, I used to be um, kind of that prestige chasing person. Like when I think back to even why I went to Cornell and why I was a finance major. So it was cool to start to rewrite my story in a way that made me a lot happier. So now I can be in San Diego and have my own business and have my team and have everything kind of set up in alignment. But yeah, it took those years of surrendering and sacrificing uh, the desire for other people's approval, what other people thought of me and the identity that I thought um, what I kind of grew up with that wasn't always fully true to who I am. Can I ask you a question that's going to probably go several layers deeper than what we've been talking about? Bring it on, man. All right. So look, you're, you're pretty modest. Um, if I'm being honest. So there's a couple things. One, you talked about working at wall street on wall street, excuse me. And you work for Lazard. That's not a, that's look as a guy who comes from MA, that's not, just working on Wall Street. That's legit top end 
best in class, no shit place to work. Um, and, uh, and that's, so that's, there's data point one. Data point two, not only did you go to Cornell, you graduated with a law degree there and an MBA in three years. Okay, I look, it took me six years to get an undergrad and that's no joke. So for, for you to take two, three year MBAs from a place like Cornell and get it done in three years, I, you know, look, I'm, I'm saying this to suggest that you're, you do things that are just not normal and average. You do them spectacularly. And so your, your path, and I'm, I'm plant, I'm telling the story. I'm telling your story through my lens. And this is where it's going to, it's going to go a layer too deeper. So you, you did things to the extreme, to the highest degree. You had to pour yourself. The only way to do that is to pour 100% of who you were and who you are into it to survive it. Most people can't even get into those schools, let alone get through them and survive them and, and then come out the other side and then decide, no, not for me. I want to know. I want to know. And, and one more thing to lay around that three times. And I tell people when I talk to them, if you bring up something three times, I'm going to go at it. And you brought up pain, challenge, suffering, and relationships growing up. Yeah. What was going on? that drove you to Cornell to what, what you were, what, what very few people, I mean, like the elite Navy SEAL level of performance academically to Lazard to the walkway, what was going on? What was beneath the surface? Yeah. So if you look at my upbringing, there's kind of two things that happened and there's good and bad across both, but it's my relationship with my parents. And then it's my relationship with my paternal grandparents and my maternal grandmother. So you have, let's start with the grandparents, um, very much stepped in as surrogate parents to me in a lot of ways, in, in a lot of good ways. So my paternal um, grandparents were very um, available to me, very much interested in me, very supportive of me, but very much from a vantage point of success and accomplishment and achievement. My paternal grandfather, if you look him up, he's got a Wikipedia page, Arnold Burns. He was the deputy attorney general of the United States. He was in the Reagan administration friends with Reagan, friends with Bush, friends with Bush, W. Bush. He did Mayor Giuliani's um, campaign for mayor, uh, friends with Trump, friends with all these people. It's funny because my grandfather was actually a very modest Republican. He was just right of center in terms of his beliefs, but he was in that, in the right party. Anyway, he had this very illustrious career. He was in Washington. He lived in the Watergate building. He then came to back to New York and he was a big lawyer and investment banker. So I got a lot of like, that was kind of my primary source of love growing up was from them. And I was smart enough to know, okay, if I check the box, if I get an A plus, if I do these things that he did, I'll get more love. And that's what happened. So I'm in high school and I'm like, oh, I'm going to just take all the AP classes. Okay. Good job, right? Oh, you know what? The AP chemistry class is taught by a college professor and there's only four people and you got to do, you know, all these extra things but I did it and I got a five on the AP. Oh, that is amazing, Brandon. You're amazing. Same thing, AP calculus. We got a guy from NYU coming in, five on the AP, all this stuff. Take the SATs, do this, get into Cornell. Um, I get to Cornell. Oh, well, I'm in the economic school. Yeah, there's a better program. It's called Applied Economics and Management. It's in the business, it's the undergrad business program. Everyone goes to Wall Street. I transfer into that. Good job, Brandon. That's exciting, right? Then time for graduation. And I'm um, like, you know what? I always kind of wanted to get that law degree. My grandpa's a lawyer. My parents were both lawyers. Stepdad was a lawyer. Stepbrother was a lawyer. I'm like, no, nah, I don't just want to get the law degree. I want to do the JD MBA. And I want to do it, the accelerated one. First time ever Cornell's doing in three years total. Do that. And it, what it was, all these things were just ways for me to bond with my grandparents and get more connection and get more love. Because as humans, I do believe our highest calling, highest desire is connection and love with other people. Right? And so... I was just always pursuing deeper relationships with the people in my family who are available to me. And I figured out subconsciously, obviously at the time, by having more accomplishments, I would build deep in relationships with them. So I kept doing all these things. So now I'm in the JD MBA and the lots, well, law recruiting is happening. And if I go back to the ego, not the image, I actually wanted the wall street. Cause I'm like, I'm faster paced. I like the deals. I you know, like M and a like you, but there's the law thing happening and you know, everyone's like, Brandon, you got to just do it, do it for practice interviews. And then Cravath, Sween and Moore, the number one ranked law firm in the world has uh, 
interview slots and I don't even bother. I'm like, you know, they took one guy from Cornell law school all of last year. It was a woman, she was editor in chief of the law review and all these things. So I don't even bother applying to Cravath, but the morning of when we're actually in New York city, doing all the interviews at this hotel, Cravath has a waitlist opening and I jump into it and I take it. And now I interview with them just kind of as a joke, but they like that I had the MBA. They liked that I was a people person and they pushed me through to the final round. There's only two rounds. It's like the pre-intro and then you do a day at the office. Then I find this block. Well then, okay, before that, my family finds out, oh, Brendan has a final round super day at Cravath. You know, like overshadowing even my grandpa's career potentially. And this is, and so all the attention and all the love and all the dopamine and serotonin and all the stuff starts happening even more. And so what did I do? I would say one of my best qualities to toot my own horn is resourcefulness. I find this blog with all these elite law students and I find enough articles of firsthand stories of what it's like to interview at Cravath and what they look for and all stuff. So I went into that interview with the cheat codes. I knew exactly how I needed to show up, how to dress, how to engage with the partners that there's, it's not really interviews, it's informational interviews where they have you ask questions. So I had all the questions. I studied the partners, their psychology from the website is for partners. I know there's one guy um, who didn't like me, but everyone, like the other two people loved me. And then the fourth guy was kind of on the fence, but I figured out how to get him to like me. And so anyway, um, they called me and my roommate from Cornell Law School a couple of days later, and we were the first people for that year to get offered um, summer associate positions at Cravat. And then I remember calling my grandma and she was so excited and everything was so big. And again, they really did love me and were doing the best they could, but I was driven again by that performance. So I think if you can create alignment between like the things that are most important to you that we seek and then the outcome that you want, that's kind of what was happening at the time. Like the love that I craved was in alignment with high performance in the marketplace. And so that's why I tapped, I gave everything to that because deep down I wanted that kind of closeness and attention. So that's, that's kind of how the grandparent side of things pushed in into the performance. If you go back to my parents on the other side, both, um, again, doing the best they could, but got married young. I think my mom was 19 when she got married 21 or two when she had me and times were different. First of all, they were both a lot younger. Second of all, they were both lawyers, which is hard because you're sort of like just starting your career, not really getting your life lessons until you're 25, six, seven, because law school's three years. And a lot of pressure, especially from my dad's parents in terms of money and success and personal development was not very widely kind of available like it is today. You know, there was maybe some talk therapy, but there wasn't really any coaching. There wasn't a lot of the stuff in, in society as much yet. So they were both going through their own stuff and their battles. And I'm growing up and I did not get a lot of that kind of attention and love and all this stuff. So birthing out of that. And then also I would say some kind of generational stuff and emotional issues. Like I have a brother who has, you know, issues emotionally, emotional manageability and other people in my family, like my grand great grandfather apparently was the angriest man alive. He ran himself over with the car, all these stories, but it's true. Like we have these kind of emotional imbalances genetically, I believe in the family. So as a result of all that stuff, when I got what I realized was I could do anything. I could go to Cornell, Harvard, whatever, get A pluses and everything. Cause I could just go into my room alone and figure out the answers. The hard part for me was then I started to get these jobs and the answers were always easy. The hard part were these people navigating the emotions and the interactions and the intimacy of working with other people and their feelings and all this stuff. And that's why I was only at Lazard for one year. Cause I couldn't really, I mean, it was just so challenging emotionally for me. So what I did was because of my background, I had all these interviews at all these mega elite hedge funds, Elliot, Redwood, Apollo, all the biggest guys. And I met this guy who had just started his own hedge fund and I thought he was brilliant. And I thought it was a super cool opportunity. I worked there for four years, did a lot of good work together, raised hundreds of millions of dollars, made a lot of money. But the reason I think deep down why I picked the guy was because he was so nice and so kind of I knew it would be an easier emotional situation for me. And it was because if I went to one of these big hedge funds with one of these really aggressive, you know, these types, I wouldn't have survived. So call it a good or a bad thing. But the reality was when I got to the real world, I didn't have the internal toolkit to navigate these types of things. And so that's 
why ultimate part of why I ultimately left was I needed kind of more space and freedom to be my own boss and to continue to refine my emotional skills and everything, which I've been able to do as with my business currently, because now I feel like, oh, I could go back to one of those jobs and it'd be a totally different game. I'd be confident. I'd close deals. I'd elevate. I'd be able to navigate the challenging personalities because I'm now developed in those arenas. But hopefully that gives you a little bit of context of like why I was such kind of a mega performer, but then also part of why I left. The other part of why I left was as I was getting healing and doing a lot of personal development, I was super passionate about it. And I felt like this was more in alignment with my calling. Plus obviously seeing some big name coaches out there. I was like, okay, I can, you know, it's not like I'm going to be on poverty. If I pursue this route too, you can make a nice living doing that as well. Most of the time. So I call it the trade at some point in your, your life. So two things before I even say that though, thanks for sharing that, man. Thanks for sharing all the backstory. I think it, it, it ties everything together really well and it makes perfect sense. And I, I don't think you're alone. You know, the, the generational differences from our parents and grandparents to us, to our generation and the generation behind me and my kids and you know, that generation, I mean, it's, it's, it's a change. We're, we're in the middle. We're this, we're the odd generation that's got to figure out if we're, we're going to kind of live our life by our kids, which like, like our more like our kids are wired to, to live life or like our grandparents where it's get a job and stay at it for as long as you can do it as well as you can. And if you can work in the same building for the same boss, for the same company for 40 years, man, you are lucky. And somewhere in between there's, there's probably that's us and we're trying to navigate that. So thanks. Thanks for sharing that with, with me. Um, but most of the people I talk to who, who have gone through a trade, they've gone through this, this point in their life where they've been on a path, a very, um, intentional path for a period of years as you were. And then they decide to, there's a fork in the road and they take a, they take a, a left for once instead of a right. And they they go, they start a different path. There's usually something at that fork. There's something, there's a, there's a, there's an event, there's a thought, there's a gut punch. There's something that happens near that fork what I call the, and I, I sum it up as a normal 40 moment. There's something that happens there that says, you know what? My work here is done. My work on this path is done. I'm going to go this other direction. Was there something for you as you were either at Steamboat, the hedge fund, or along the way where you're like, you know what? This, my work here is done. I'm going to go try something else. Yeah, I feel like um, one of my best friends at the time, and he was a very new friend, I, he had joined Steamboat as a junior compliance person, and his name was Anand Mehta, and he was such a great guy. And so, again, I didn't know him very long, somewhere between three and six months, but he came into the firm, and we hit it off immediately, and we would go for walks together, and we would go to the gym together. And we both kind of had dreams of doing something else, like having our own businesses, or I think he in part thought about maybe moving back to India, um, where his family was from, or, or, you know, we just talked about these different things. And then um, he started working from home a little bit more, um, and which I, I think the firm didn't like, but he obviously did. And then he was working from home for a couple of days in a row, I thought. And our CFO came into my office and he said, Hey, Brandon, what's going on with um, Anand? Like, he's not responding to any of my stuff. And the CFO was kind of freaking out. And I was like, No, I think Anand is like about to quit. And I was happy for him. I was like, He's, he's getting out. And Jeff's like, Just reach out. So I texted Anand. And, we, you know, we both had iPhones and then it came in green, right? Like when you sent it, meaning his phone was off and, uh, or he was offline, no service. And so when I came back green, I was like, I smiled. I was like, okay, he's, he's quitting. He's doing something better. I'm happy for him. And then uh, Jeff kept like freaking out. He's like, I'm going to call the police. And I was like, dude, why is it? I was like, why is the guy trying to call the police? He's ignoring you. <laughs> like, it's like when a girl breaks up with you and you're like, oh my gosh, she's not calling. I'm going to call her parents. It's like, dude, you're not getting the signal. She just doesn't want to talk to you. But he called, um, before he called the police, he went into Anand's email and then they emailed one of his friends. He's like, hey, have you heard from him? And the friend was like, hey, man, um, Anand actually overdosed and passed away um, three days ago. And when that happened, that was a big wake up call for me, really messed me up because I was starting to think like, OK, this is our chance here. 
you know, whatever you believe in having the afterlife, you get to make that decision. But we all know that this is one chance here on this planet. And so I felt like we both kind of had that vision to step out and I was going to take that out that was presented to me to go do that. And I feel like it wouldn't be as questioned and it would be more understandable given kind of the nature of what was happening. So that happened in like August or September. And then a month or two later, I officially left. But at that point I had, I remember that day I kind of walked out. I was like, I'm quitting. And then I you know, came back a little bit to my senses to create a little bit more of a structured exit strategy that would be more respectful to um, the firm anyway. But I think that played a role in it. And then the other thing was just kind of looking around and seeing, you know, what's my mission? What's, uh, what's really going on in this industry? How does it help people? What are sort of the byproducts of some of these hedge fund managers and their lives? And you see some of the divorces and drugs and insider trading, and it just wouldn't, didn't feel kind of in alignment with what I was looking to do, but certainly, you know, losing a friend like that played a big role in it. One of the things um, I've come to discover in my journey of helping people transition when when they're at this fork in the road and they feel it, they feel it before they see it, they feel it in their gut. And I feel like that's what the Sunday pit is. And I think, I think when you're on the wrong path and you're starting to know it and you don't know what to do about it, it's when this anxiety starts to, starts to kick in um, and it, and it starts to, to starts to grow over time. And the, there's usually, so the people who make the trade, make a change, they tend to have something in common. Um, and I call it the D's. There, there's there's a D that shows up, a word that starts with a D, and I'll go over them. And it's it's a divorce. Somebody gets served divorce papers, and boom, that shocks you into a new reality. There yeah. can be a death near you. That's the one you just talked about with Anand. Uh, a death shocked you into a different way of seeing the world. There can be a diagnosis, a parent, a spouse, a child, yourself, a diagnosis that will immediately shift what's important in your life from what you thought it was yesterday to what you believe it is tomorrow, radically shifts it. Drinking too much can do it. Tuesday night, 8 p.m., your spouse is in the bedroom, your kids are in bed, and you're on the couch by yourself drinking, that's a problem. And you do that long enough, and you'll have a divorce, or you'll have a diagnosis, or you'll have a death, and that will lead you there too. Um, and then there's a downsizing. And a downsizing, as you know, comes in two forces, forms. One is you get laid off, and it's like, oh, shit, I just, I just worked for this company for 18 years. I thought I was going to retire here. And now it's not an option that will wake you up. And when your kids get to an age, when they graduate and the number of heads in your house starts to downsize, that's a healthier, but different kind of wake up call. And those are the D's that kind of show up at people's lives when they're like, Hey, I've got a, this is my chance. There really is a clock. I really am going to die someday. I really don't have forever to figure myself out. I really have to can I really have to do the math here. Am I going to stay and ride the horse I'm on or am I going to trade the horse for something else and I got to figure it out. And I love helping people who are at that inflection point in their life to figure it out cuz when they arrive to you or they arrive to me, they've already at this place like, "Hey, I think I'd trade what I've got. I think I would trade it." The problem is I I don't know what I would trade it for. I don't know where I'd go. I don't know what I'd do. I don't know who would hire me. I don't know how I would make money if I wasn't doing this. But so helping them figure out what their other path could be is so fun. It is the most rewarding thing in the world. And I'm sh I know you get to do it because you help me do it. And it's just the coolest part about coaching. And this is, this is let me say one more thing to anyone who might be thinking, well, that's interesting. That's kind of how I feel. Talk to someone. Just, it doesn't have to be Brendan and it doesn't have to be me. He and I aren't trying to get hired, but we're trying to, we're trying to communicate from our voice to your AirPod that you have to show up for yourself. Nobody shows up for you and does this for you. It's not happening. It might've happened for your last promotion. It might've happened for your promotion before that, where somebody showed up and took your hand and said, this is for you next. It's not happening again. So you've got to do it. Call a friend, call a mentor, call me, call Brendan call anyone you find and LinkedIn, but do something. I, I couldn't agree more. And I want to say you, you pursue your image or you pursue money or you pursue certain things long enough and your life starts getting worse. You pursue what actually fulfills you, you pursue what makes you happy. Your life gets better. And so if you're on that track where you feel like things are getting worse, which I think is most people, certainly many people, 
that's kind of enough of a wake up call to say, hold on a second. And one of my favorite quotes too is uh, actually Jim Carrey. And he talks about the difference between sadness and depression. Sadness, it's a feeling. It can come and go. Something happens. You feel the sadness and you release it. And that's okay. It doesn't mess you up for too long. Depression is your body saying to you, screw you. I am sick of playing this role anymore. Because that is in alignment with, again, the image, not the real you or the ego. So it's your body just shutting down and saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't continue to pretend, to act, to modify and chase these things. It just doesn't reward me and fulfill me. And I think for me, part of it was that hitting that emotional unmanageability. And it's happened to me even in my coaching business. Like I've gotten to a point with coaching where my body has started to shut down the way it did on Wall Street. Reason being growing too fast. I'm not doing the things I love as much. I then kind of zoomed way too far out, putting all these people, and now I'm not coaching anyone. I would just either be like a CEO, transactional CEO, or doing all the sales calls, which can be rewarding, but can also be very much burnout and you don't get to actually take them through to the other side. So it's interesting how you can even be in your right calling space, be closer to it, but still kind of be doing it the wrong way. And so that's my season now lately has been making adjustments to kind of reframe this business to, Hey, we're not going to really work with people just because they're willing to sign up with us anymore. I need to be coaching a certain number of people at all times for my own sanity and fulfillment. Uh, we're no longer setting goals based on numbers and money anymore. It used to be, okay, the next goal is 200 K a month or 300. Now it's more like benchmarks against fulfillment and happiness in my life. So I just want to say all that to uh, add another couple points there. No, it's, it's beautiful. And it goes, it, it perfectly ties into something you said earlier. Uh, and that is, you don't have to have it figured out, but here's, you don't have to have it figured out to, to do it, but here's, here's the difference um, between this decision you got to make now when, after you'd had success and you decided within your own company, you need to change. You need to get back to being closer to the client, to being, to being closer to the individual you're helping rather than just being a CEO overseeing it. Whose permission did you need to make that change? My own. That's it. And that's the, that's the seminal difference between working for someone where you got to write a memo and then give it a pitch and then rehearse it and try to try to convince, try to sell other people on the fact that you're, you have a, a feeling and emotion and a, and you're probably right. I mean, most of us are smart enough to know when we're right and we have a conviction about something. And when we got to sell it upline and we don't get results, it's just, it, it isn't nearly as fun. I would rather get it wrong for myself than get it right for somebody else. It's just, it's now you can't do that every time, but look, to be willing to do that, to be willing to get it wrong, to know that you don't have to have anyone's permission to modify it when you've decided you've had enough. And that's, that is a, I'm so thankful that I've reached that point in my life that I, I just can't, I can't imagine going back. You seem like, you know, yourself very well. And one of the things I remember about our coaching engagement was when we met, you know, I like to meet people where they're at. And that's a lesson I've learned probably after we work together. Cause I, you, like you said, I was sort of figuring a lot of it out as I was going, but you were very true to yourself. And you were very confident and clear on your timeline. And I think why people go faster than they should can happen for a variety of reasons. And I think for you, you were very trusting in yourself, maybe in a higher power, but you kind of knew you were going to be good. And so you didn't kind of race after things faster than you were supposed to. And I've seen you be very methodical and thoughtful and tactical and kind of take your time in growing this thing. One of the things that I've been learning personally both in myself and how I acted, but then even in the types of coaches that I've hired to help me where everything was like drinking from a fire hose. And what we did was we kind of built it all up really big, really fast, you know, two closers plus me, multiple appointment setters, coach, hire two more coach. And it just kind of all imploded. Um, and it's not like we shut it all down. We just kind of restabilized right at a, at a good place that we're at but with a leaner team and a more methodical process and a more stable foundation. And what's cool to see is kind of your take on your business has been very sort of thoughtful and pacing it. Cause I do believe that it is the one 
who just takes their time implementing, you know, don't stand on silence and do nothing, but just kind of take one step at a time. Um, it's helped me. And, and another kind of a side point is I love kind of how I, what we do is also a crucible for our own development because it's, this business has enabled me to work through what are the issues that cause this for me? Impatience, lack of trust. Um, again, going back to image a little bit, right. Having that bigger business as an accomplishment, but it's just been cool to see you really grow this at the, the pace it's supposed to be at. And for you to find so much fulfillment in what you do with the content you put out. I mean, I saw your last post on, I didn't really fully dig into it, but something like some book they ripped you off or something and you just called them out and all of your loyal people commenting, you know, being standing behind you on that. It, it's pretty cool to see the relationships you've built with these people and the, the brand and the goodwill you have as a way to, I mean, that's such a good lesson for anybody looking to build anything. I'm so glad you brought that up, Brendan. Um, you know, it's, it's actually, it was very intentional. It wasn't, I didn't know when you, you were my coach, um, what I was going to do exactly, but I knew what my mission was. I knew what my mission was, even though I didn't have the words for it. I have the words now. My mission is to inspire the change in a thousand lives. And my metric is to get a thousand notes of thanks. And to get a thousand notes of thanks, it really means you have to have probably impacted more like a hundred thousand lives because not everybody's going to write you a thank you note. Um, and so, but I didn't know that then, but I knew who I was and I knew what my mission was, but I learned this in banking. And this is so important to anybody who's thinking about who's coming from the grind and the hustle, like you and I both did. But I learned in banking that um, the people who were in a hurry to get rich the 30 something who was just looking for credit and wanted to buy, buy, buy were usually the people I ended up in court against. And the people who were willing to just to do the work for the long game, knowing that they, it wasn't about having the sports car at the end of next year, but having a family vacation in Europe at the end of the next decade. It was those people who are playing the long game inevitably relentlessly, who are the people who now own the community, they own the communities, they're in control. And the people who are in such a hurry to be rich, are the people who still haven't figured themselves out, they're still waiting to meet themselves someday. And so I've learned very intentionally that to the extent I have the gift of being able to take time, the gift of having a control, having control over what I buy and what I spend, the gift of having health that I don't need to spend all of my income on preserving and that I can just be healthy. Thank the Lord. Um, that's good. And just do what I love to do and take care of the people who show up along the way. The long game is going to work. I'm going to figure out everything I need to figure out to make a business around it. So long as I build fans and a following, the rest will take care of itself. So, I mean, it's such an important lesson. Don't be in a hurry the metric for me, if you're my client, is never going to be how how quickly can we replace your W two income. That's the wrong place to start. If that if that is where you have to start, I'm not your coach, and I would probably tell you you probably aren't ready to quit yet. You probably need a little bit bigger nest egg so that you don't have to be burdened by having to make money doing something you don't want to do, which is what's going to happen. You'll create a job you don't love. You'll recreate a job for yourself that you just left that somebody else already provided for you. So it's a, it's really an important thing to just be patient. Yeah. I like that you said that one of the things that I've been doing too, even personally is creating more margin in my own personal finances to not have to feel that kind of desperate energy. Because when I left finance, I was 26, 27. I mean, I was young. I didn't have a huge nest egg. So there was a sense of urgency to, you know, get some money flowing in and be able to, I lived in New York city and I had rent and all these things. Um, so that did kind of create some good, but also a lot of problems and kind of the structure and the foundation of how I did and didn't build my business at the time. Now, kind of, as I've grown it over the last few years, what I, the trap I started to fall into was being in some of these masterminds of people driving certain, you know, Lamborghinis and these types of things. And, and even more detrimental than, having a two to three K a month lease on a luxury or exotic car is having a 10 to $20,000 a month rental 
where you're not building equity in anything and you have some mansion that they're going to kick you out in six months or a year anyway. And you're just like, now you have to net personally huge amounts of cash just to stay on that hamster wheel. So one of the things that I've been doing over the past, call it three, six months, is really getting my house in order. I do thankfully own a house. I own both my cars. And just looking at, you know, what am I spending money on? But again, it kind of comes back to what am I spending money on that's in alignment with my ego versus what's in alignment with that image and challenging myself constantly. I, you know, a lot of people don't like Dave Ramsey. He's, uh, you know, you can't have credit cards if you follow him. And I have plenty of credit cards, but you can get value from everyone to some degree. And with him, you know, he has so many great quotes. He goes, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're in debt, the only time you should be in a restaurant is if you're uh, working as a waiter there, or, you know, he's got different quotes like that. And he's helped me a lot, just kind of be a little bit more uh, smart about my financial situation. Cause one of the things I learned, I talked about my grandfather that I didn't talk about my stepdad. He struggled with um, kind of spending money addiction, whatever you want to call that impulsive spending or that type of thing, shopping addiction. And he, um, I mean, he had a limousine, Bentley, Rolls Royce, multiple uh, Mercedes, driver, staff. I mean, he was a business owner, but guy was a mess. And he would probably make a million a year and spend two million a year. Flamed out, got disbarred from the New York Bar Association, was legally not allowed to practice law anymore, left New York. And now he's, he's um yeah, he's not doing well. So obviously, but like even mentally and everything, he's deteriorated sooner than he should have because of substance abuse as well. And so it's something that I've really learned and I'm implementing now, whatever stage you're at in life, build that margin, build that cushion. It gives you more time of a timeline to kind of take action. Because a lot of people get stuck like, oh, I wish I could take a year. I wish I could figure this out. Well, make some better financial decisions with your money. You know, if you're making 45 grand a year, you shouldn't have a $700 a month car payment. You shouldn't have the newest 2022 pickup truck or whatever. Stole that right from Dave Ramsey, but I believe it. I love it, man. And it's so true. The, the reason I am blessed to be able to be doing what I'm doing is because I um, was blessed and lucky and fortunate or smart or whatever you want to say to have made some reasonably good financial decisions early. And, uh, and the time value of money is real and getting your financial house in order before it needs to be, man, I think that's really brilliant. I think it's great. And uh, I'm it, you'll never regret doing it ever. So yeah. one last, I mean, one, yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say quickly, um, if you read the book Green Lights, uh, I think it's in the book, but I was uh, interviewing Matthew McConaughey about it. And he told me when he was trying to pivot from being a rom-com actor to actually doing more dramatic and serious roles, he took, I think, two full years off to uh, to do that. And as we know, a lot of times celebrities and athletes can burn through the money. He had a good financial advisor. He had stocks. He had a long runway saved up, which gave him that freedom. Obviously, he's a Hollywood actor, but still, Hollywood actors are broke all day long. He, smart with his money, gave him that time to reposition himself to have a second leg of his career where he's even more successful and reputable. You know, you just reminded me that of all the things you've done, we haven't even talked about your podcast where you've had Matthew McConaughey and Jack Canfield and... Jesse Eitzler and now Lon Strohshine. I mean, Lon Strohshine, come on, man. That's the number one guy. I mean, you got a top 10 podcast. And we haven't even talked about that yet. Uh, that's that just means we're going to have to have a part two. That's all there is to this, baby. Part two, and, man. And we should do it in person and it should include a flight to somewhere. Absolutely. We should even record like an intro or something up in the air. I'll bring a lapel mic. <laughs> Sounds that sounds awesome. So look, let's put a bow on this, man. What do you hope? What do you hope that the people who are listening, who are going to be a combination of your audience and my audience, what is, what is the words, what, you know, what advice or what words, what do you want them to do as a result of listening to this? What's the thing that you hope that they take a step back and say, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad they challenged me to do this. What is that? I would say take a really deep, and thoughtful approach to your life, lifestyle design, which includes uh, your job and career, starting business versus what you do professionally, et cetera. But I would ask everyone to take a really holistic look at everything, relationships, um, family, friendships, where you live, what you do for work, your financial situation, and start to think about how you could create more alignment 
with what actually is your calling and what fills you and less making the decisions based on that image, security, safety. Obviously, you know, we need to bring it, we need to pay our bills and we don't want to be irrational or jump the gun too soon. But I would say start to map out and, and maybe, you know, I don't know if you guys are, li- what day you're listening to this, but it's Friday we're recording. It's like coming into a weekend and maybe take the next weekend you have or some space and really start to journal out. I was even doing this this morning. Like what's going on in my life? I wrote down the top five things that are making me the happiest. And then the top five things that are being the most challenging for me. And then underneath it, I put a sub bullet with an adjustment I can make to my life to either do more or less of those things. I love it, man. I would, I'll, I'll answer the same thing. And I I just push it back this way. Um, If you have this feeling that the best days are upon you, that you're probably living the best days of your life and you're not using your time in a way that you know is exactly what you're supposed to be doing, just accept that. Just accept it. Be okay with it. Allow yourself the permission to to believe that you don't have to do this for the rest of your life, whatever it is. And that maybe this is the exact right time. And maybe the fact that you're hearing our voices in this podcast from two dudes who really haven't talked in a couple of years, but we're, con- we're, we're totally aligned. We're on the same page. We've done the same things. We've ha- got the same journey. And we had, we started with this point of it's okay to want something other than what I've got. And it has to start there and you have to accept it to give your, to give yourself permission. And the follow on to that would be every, I, I've come to realize that every single person I've ever come in contact with is one awkward conversation away from a radically improved day, week, month, year, or life. One, an awkward conversation with their spouse, an awkward conversation with a sibling, an awkward conversation with their kids, an awkward conversation with their boss, an awkward conversation with someone in the gas station line. One awkward conversation away from releasing this burden. Answer this, what is the awkward conversation, not you, Brendan, what is the awkward conversation that you're avoiding and what would it feel like if you dealt with it? And that would be my challenge for the people who are listening. And my guarantee is that you'll come out of this week or weekend feeling better if you take it on. Good, man. A lot of, this is an episode I'm excited to listen back to, to hear <laughs> more of what you said. I don't want to we love each other, talk. man. <laughs> Dude, this is, this is great. We should definitely do part two in person. Um, I was going to come up to South Dakota. I was so burnt out. I did uh, New York for a week and then London. And I was like, I got to just breathe for a minute, but I have a good feeling about South Dakota, getting the plane, do an in-person episode part two. Yeah. And then we'll go to the other SD. We'll do yeah, man. Too. We, I got to go to, I got to go to that SD, the San Diego, California in the next six months. And then the, in the six months after that, you come up here because doing it in reverse makes no sense. Yes. You come here first. That's a great plan. And um, if you haven't surfed, we'll take you out. One of the coaches on my team, uh, first job interview, we went surfing together and I'm about to go in about 45 minutes surfing right now. Oh my God. I surfing. That is the furthest thing from anything I've ever done. You can't even imagine it. I've done as much surfing as you've done combine harvesting. <laughs> well, I'll take you to Doheny beach in, um, in Dana point. It's where like the seven year olds and six year olds get on the foam <laughs> boards. It's like six inch waves. It's no shame. It's where I learned how to surf myself. So we'll take you up there. All right, man. You're on. Brendan, this has been an absolute joy, man. Thanks for saying yes when I said, let's do a podcast. I love it. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. Look forward to doing something again soon. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.